0: Hi, this is Terrell Somerville, the lead pastor of Freedom Church. Welcome to our podcast. We hope you enjoy the message today and that you also take time to get plugged in to your local church. We believe you can't do life alone, so we learn to do life together. I also want to thank our givers who make this podcast possible. If you are blessed by this ministry, please consider subscribing, giving, and sharing this with your friends and family. God bless you. I'm so glad you guys are here this weekend at Freedom Church. Thank you for coming, especially if you're brand new here. You couldn't have picked a better weekend to be here. Uh, but as I, uh, we enter into this time, we're starting a new series of messages we're going to be talking about. And, and um, after an extensive amount of study, I'm, I'm honored and, and humbled to be able to share this with you. But today, uh, as you, you open up your app, if you, have, uh, if you haven't downloaded our app, just go to the app store and type in Freedom Church Galton, and that's where you'll find the message notes. Uh, but if you don't uh, have a smartphone, that's just fine. You can pick up a hard copy each week out at the info desk if you'd like to do that. But uh, I want to read today the verses that we are going to dissect in its entirety. Uh, I want to read them all uh, together before we even jump in. And when we look at um, Peter in the Bible, uh, Peter was one of Christ's disciples, and he wrote uh, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And when you think about Peter, you think of a very strong person. You look at his, the, his, the root to his name and being Petros, being a rock, and, but yet he failed Christ in the fact that he denied him three times at the moment that he could have really stood up. But then we all mess up, don't we? And then we find out that on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, that Christ forgives him. And he asked him three times, do you love me? When he had denied him before that. So he went on to be a powerful force in the early church. In Acts chapter two, he gets up and basically probably preaches 10 minutes and 3000 people come to faith in Christ. And uh, as history says, Peter was, would not be crucified as Christ was crucified upright History teaches us that Peter was crucified, but yet he said, I will not be done upright. He was crucified upside down. So today, as we look into uh, 1 Peter, it's a really wonderful story that you read and how he was writing to encourage the people of that time that were in a lot of suffering. Uh, They were suffering in a a world that was really volatile at the time and faith and um, if we move on through it, he talks about the, the different uh, sex of people and people respecting people in authority. And then uh, you get into chapter three. Chapter three, as you read, and beginning at the first verse, it talks about several verses talking to wives, and then it has uh, a section there talking to husbands. What we're going to dive into is a section beginning with verse eight, and we're going to go through verse 12 in First Peter chapter three, talking about it is to all Christians. And what we're looking at here is about how that we can communicate with one another in a godly way because words uh, are so important. So if you would, I wanna read this in your hearing. It says here beginning with verse eight in 1 Peter three, and I will go through 12. It says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when, in, when insults, with insults, when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do and he'll bless you for it. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that is anointed, that we are so humbled and privileged to be able to read today. God, I pray, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would speak to every heart here, God, and find us, God, being obedient to that which we will dive into today. I pray for every heart here that does not know you, that you will begin to lovingly convict them through your spirit. And before this day is over, uh, Lord, they will know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. And uh, so uh, I want to ask you guys a question. Uh, Really, I'm going to make a statement, then a question. How many of you have heard this statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words have never hurt me. How many of you've heard that before? Okay. Here's what I believe about that. And I'm going to ask you, do you agree with me? That is absolutely dead wrong. It is not true. Are you with me? You agree with me on that? Because when it comes to words, it is a singular, very powerful thing that human and humanity can, can use. And so What we're going to do starting today, we're doing this series, he said, she said, today I'm going to talk about words that help, next week will be words that hurt, the next week will be words that give, and the last week will be words that heal. So I want to challenge you to be here as you are today, be here every week, but also uh, this right here is talking about relationships when it comes to marriage, when it comes in your family, when it comes to relationships you have with siblings or friends or neighbors or coworkers. All those kind of relationships is very important when it comes to our words. And so with that being said, how many of you here got a stone when you came in? Got a stone. How many, is anyone did not get a stone when you came in? If you did not get a stone, okay. They're going to come in and just, they're not going to embarrass you. They're going to let you pick out a stone, okay? I want you to be sure of that. I'm sure they can, hopefully they can hear me out there and someone let them know. But if you did not get a stone, I want you to select a stone. Now, how many of you, as they get ready to do that and they come in in just a moment, uh, raise your hand and they'll give you one. But let me ask you this. How many of you are like me? You've been somewhere like Gatlinburg or you've been somewhere on vacation and you go into a shop or a gift shop. And it's something like this here. It's a shop. You go in and you see this square table and what you do, you pick out all the stones that you want and you put them in a pouch and you purchase them. How many of you have ever been there and saw that before? All right. Okay. Now, cool. All right. Now, if you didn't get a stone or coming around, be sure to select your stone. Okay. And uh, because this is our gift to you today. And hopefully when we're said and done, this is going to mean something to you. I have mine in my hand here. So, with that being said, when you selected this stone, when you came in, our words are like stones. See, we're each a stone thrower. Each word that we speak is like a stone that's being thrown from our lips. We can speak words of beauty, and the people we're speaking to would treasure them. Or we can speak words that contain pain of what do people want to do. They want to toss them aside. However, it's not until after they have said and had to deal with a wound that we caused them when we slung the stone at them. So just like these stones here that you have selected and I selected, when you came in every day, Every time we speak, we get to choose the stones. And so my question is today, from this point forward, you're held accountable. Which words are you going to choose from this point forward? Let's take a look at this particular verse from Proverbs. It says here in chapter 10, verse 32, the lips of the godly speak helpful words. "...but the mouth of the wicked speak perverse words." So, when I read this, I was thinking to myself, and I was thinking, okay, if it says godly people speak helpful words, what institute and what applies to a person being a godly person? What does that mean? What makes a person godly? First and foremost, you are a godly person. If you've come to a point in time in your life that you knew that you did not have Christ in your heart, you were convicted of sin, that means you were missing the mark, and you prayed to God Almighty, ask Him. To forgive you of your sins and to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, then you were born again. Your name was put in His book in heaven, and then from that point forward, you would do your very best to live, loving God and obeying His word. So, what that means in, in essence, it boils down to two particular commandments: love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what that means. So as we look at that and we live our lives, it's twofold. We love God and we love other people. You cannot love God without loving that which he created and that is other people. So today, as we look at this passage here in Peter's first letter, the theme is not only God's love for us, but it's God's love for other people. And it shows us in this passage, we're going to break it down, how that we communicate in godly ways. And Peter here, what he's doing, he's dealing with how Christians are living as pilgrims in a difficult time, in a difficult world. So Peter's trying to help them in their time of suffering. So what he's doing, he's offering practical help for the difficult relationships not only they were having, but we have today with one another. So, godly communication, first and foremost, is through our ways. You say, what do you mean our ways? All of you here know someone, and you're close enough to them, when you look at them and you're around them, you know what their ways are. And when I say ways, what I'm saying is, is their behavior and how they carry themselves in life. And so, words are so important that we share, but words alone, listen to me, only account for a small part of the communication process. There was a study done by a professor emeritus at the University of California. His name is Albert uh, Maribeans, and he had what he called in his study, the 73855 communication process. What he meant by that was 7% of communication, only 7%, 7% is words. 38% is the tone of your voice and the inflections. 55% is your body language. It is your facial expressions. It is your posture. It is your gestures. So when you think about that, you might even think, well, you know, everybody does studies and they're subjective, and, but even if you question the percentages that they came up with, communication, would you agree with me, it's not just words. Raise your hand. It's not just words. Exactly. It's, it's so, so true. And it involves our behaviors and our attitudes. How many of you men here are married? Raise your hand. Say, I'm married. Raise your hands real high. How many of you men know without your wife ever saying the word when she gives you the look? You know what time it is. You know what time it is. She don't have to say anything. All she's got to do is just... She can cut them eyes at you, and you know exactly what it is. So that's a proven point there that communication does have something to do with behavior and with attitudes. Um. Just a couple of weeks ago, just um, back at the end of January, I think it was January 30th, our our sixth grandchild was born. Maggie was born to um, Jared and Chloe Pettigo, and they already had a daughter, Ellie, and Ellie's 13 months old, so they're gonna be really close together. But something unfortunate happened two days after that Maggie was born, Ellie got really sick. And so when they came home from the hospital, Ellie could not be around Maggie because she was so sick so Keith and Tracy uh Jared's parents and Shannon and I we kind of teamed up to take care of Ellie and it was a wonderful time and she was really sick I mean she was really sick so we always FaceTime with one another I FaceTime with the kids I FaceTime with the grandkids uh they'll they'll FaceTime us and we get to see them when they wake up and they're loving laughter and all that but there was a particular time that Chloe FaceTime Shanda and Chloe was holding the newborn Maggie well, she ends up handing the phone to Ellie for Ellie to see her mama and her little sister. So when she got the phone, she looked at it and went, she went, mm, mm. Then she threw the phone down. She went, mm, mm, Then she got on the phone and stood on the phone, and then she busted out and started crying. And what it was, she didn't understand While her mama was holding this other baby. And she wanted her mama. And it broke her heart. Once again, we knew exactly what it was. Because she wanted her mama. Mommy, nonverbal communication. So what we want to do in verse 8... Verse 8 gives us five character qualities of behaviors, ways that promotes godly relationships and communication. The first one that I wrote down from this was unity of mind. When you think about unity of mind in your relationships, unity does not mean uniformity. It means cooperation in the midst of diversity. Look look what it says. It says, finally, the first word, finally, and what he's saying here about all godly communication and all relationship, Peter is summing this all up just like you would sum up the law of love, The whole of human relationships is fulfilled in love. So he says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. That means from the original writing that we need to have the same mind and the same attitude. The unity of this mindset means that we as God's people and in relationships, we desire to glorify God and please God by obeying his word. That's what we're to do. So, if two people share that desire in a relationship, they still may have some serious differences in their lives that they, got to, they have to work through, but this provides common ground for them to be able to resolve those conflicts. See, a person with unity of mind, they're not self-willed. They're not demanding their own way, and they're not judging people because they don't want to go along with people. Okay, all of us have different backgrounds. All of us have different personalities. We all think different when it comes to us being as a human being. And the only way for unity, especially when it comes to the marriage, unit. When you get married, the only way for unity of marriage is for both the husband and wife. You both have to be committed to be able to please God and to be able to obey his word. It's so important in that relationship. And let me speak to you. If you're here and you are single and you are considering getting married, listen to me. Even if they are a Christian, which Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you're not to marry an unbeliever. But even if they say they profess faith in Jesus Christ, if they are living for themselves... You better run the other direction. You say, What do you mean by that, Pastor? If they're not committed to daily dying out to themselves and learning to please God in their life, they will not be growing in their lives and being in unity of mind with you. You'll have constant conflict, and it will end not being so good. So you've got to look for those character qualities. So, it's a unity of mind. It's not only this, it's the heart of compassion. See, when you look at sympathize with each other in verse 8, that's when you have feelings for and feelings with someone. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. He tells us that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And so, we are to be affected by what other people are feeling. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, I, I don't know about you, but guys, we've been taught from when we were little and a lot of you will shake your head and say, I was taught, you, don't you cry no tear, you suck it up, boy, don't let me see you crying. How many of you guys were kind of taught like that? Would you raise your hand and let me know? A lot of you were, a lot of you. It was like that. But for me, I mean, I wasn't like that. I'm a very emotional person. If I see somebody crying on a movie, I'm a weeping dude in the chair. I'm sitting over hiding when we're watching those movies with my girls. And they watch him, and I watch him, and I start, if I see another human crying, I cry. That's just who I am. But I'm not talking about having the emotion of just crying. What I'm saying is, is that we as God's people are to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we're to weep with those who weep, and we are to allow others' suffering to touch our own emotions and be sensitive, because we want them to be sensitive, because if we were in that other person's shoes, and it was us that was going through that, we would hope that someone would have a care for us. So you do all you can do to make other people love and accept it, especially when they're going through suffering times. And we're to live by faith, and we're to live by obedience, not by our feelings, but we should be able to let other people know that we're not going to ignore, we're not going to deny our feelings. We're going to be there for somebody when they're hurting. That's part of godly communication, learning to listen. It's just twice as important. It is really with words, but also with feelings. You've got to let people know that you understand you're trying to track with them and that you really do care. Another thing out of verse 8 is to love as siblings. How many of you here have a brother or sister? You've got siblings in your life. Great, great, great. So as you came up with those siblings, it says here that as God's people, we're to love each other as brothers and sisters. Now, when you look at the word... Here in the original writing, and it's talking about loving each other's brothers and sisters. The root word comes where that they got the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's what the root Greek is in that brotherly love. It means as believers that we are members of the same body. That is the body of Christ. What I'm saying by that is my wife, Shanda, is not just my wife, she's my sister in Christ. And often when we're communicating, I'll look at her, I say, you got that right, sister, and other people around here. Some of the ladies that's on staff here, we're conversating, we're having a meeting, we're around. Or if I'm around you and you're a sister in Christ, I will most aptly call you a sister in Christ because I look at you as my sister because we're going to spend eternity together. And it's the same way I call people brother. If your kids become Christians, they are not just your children, they become your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we, listen, this is, this is crucial, we should treat our family members like guests. And we should treat our guests like family members. But it doesn't always happen that way, does it? And it's really sad. When it comes to our own family, the people we do life with the closest, we're often rude and we're inconsiderate toward those that we live with. We can be guilty of yelling at them like a dog in our lives, not like family. So sibling love behavior when you practice it will lead you to godly communication now something else another word here it says be tender-hearted i love the word in that being kind-hearted How many of you know somebody just jumps out in your mind right now? You know they're kind-hearted. Somebody in your circle of life, you know those people. Isn't that cool? You really think about them in that nature. Being kind-hearted is basically love revealing itself toward another person. So when you look at the root of this in the original writing, what it really means is, in the Greek is, It's like the bowels down inside of you, often where I already said the word of compassion. So basically to have this deep gut feeling about another person. And when you look at the word kind you look at the word compassion, there's not a lot of difference between the two. Both words have an emotional element to it, but Christian behavior has got to go beyond religious duty. Let me say that again: Christian behavior, our ways, must go beyond some kind of religious duty in our lives. Others should sense that we do genuinely care for them from our bowels, from our hearts. Something else here, the fifth one is a spirit of humility. He says, here, Peter doesn't keep a humble attitude. See, Jesus, the only time Jesus described toward himself was in Matthew 11. And that's when he told them to come to him, come to me, because I'm heavy laden, come to me, for I'm humble. The only time Jesus referred to himself, humble, being humble. So in biblical times, this is what was taking place. When it come to humility, humility was looked at as a total weakness. So when Christians, what they would do, they would elevate this as a virtue. So in our day, though, what's happened, many Christians have reverted and they've went like the pagans pagans view of that. And in relationships, they're thinking, well, I need greater self-esteem in order to be able to love other people. Listen to me closely. The Bible is very clear that esteeming ourselves above somebody else will be at the root of all the conflicts that you go through in your relationships. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Philippians. He said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others better than, what's that last word said out loud? Than yourselves. Than yourselves. To have unity in relationships, we as God's people, we have to have a lower estimate of ourselves. I'm not saying I love yourselves, but a lower estimate of ourselves. We don't esteem others. I wrote this down this week, listen to this, and this is not in your notes, but I'm going to read this. Pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. You see that? See, high regard for myself will cause me to get in a position and a mindset that I'm not going to re- I'm not going to admit things that I've done wrong in my life. I'm going to get angry if you challenge me of something of my way. I'm going to be a person that if you come at me with that and, and call me on something, I'm going to reject the correction you're trying to call out in my life. So those are five particular behaviors, godly communication when it comes to our ways. Now let's move into godly communication when it comes to our words. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. See, what he's saying here, it's not enough that we bite our tongue when someone offends you, but you're to give them a blessing instead. And some of you are thinking, you've lost your ever-loving mind if I'm going to do that. But here, listen to this for a moment. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Paul wrote to the Romans, and he said, while we were still enemies— God saved us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So, God could have rightly condemned me and you, but God gave me and you salvation through His Son. So now, what does this mean? When someone verbally mistreats you or me, we're to extend to them the same blessing that God graciously extended to me and you when we were enemies of God. This means in your life that you don't retaliate. Listen, you don't give the silent treatment to try to, to be insensitive to pay back your spouse because if you do that, then that's not godly communication. That's a form of retaliation. It's not a blessing to them. Now, verbally blasting your spouse is not good because what you're doing, if you're just being honest about the way that you feel and you do at times, but the truth is you're not being a blessing to them. You're not trying to build them up if you're blasting them. It's just not good. It's not healthy. You know, I can't can't say anything to the women here because I'm not a woman. I'm a guy. But guys, if you're here and you can hear my voice, I want to share some things with you that's going to help you with your spouse or future spouse or the one you're dating. Ladies, you can lean out and see if your Facebook post or Instagram got a like. Guys, lean in for a minute. If you're a bunch of guys here, say "Hoorah." hoorah. That's good. Deadly terms, men, used by women. Listen to me closely. I'm fine. If your woman ever says she's fine like that, she's not fine okay she's not listen because she's not fine you better figure out and ask your woman and you better respond quickly and do some backtracking because whatever happened over here is the reason she's not fine here even she says i'm fine second term whatever whatever man, man, man. You better pay attention when she says whatever. It, sometimes it may mean just that, but if she said it in a much different way, in a different tone, you better be asking her quickly what's wrong, gentlemen. Number three, I don't care. If she says, I don't care, this is another deadly term that you better really read into her body language, the tone, the inflection of how she says it in her voice, because listen, if she won't look at you and she's tense and she won't make eye contact with you, she definitely does not care at that moment. She's basically too embarrassed to be able to, or upset to tell you what's going on. So you better do everything you can do to get her to open up and talk about it, because That's so important. Number four, do what you want. Guys, if she ever says it in a tone like that, it is one of the most dangerous things your woman could ever say. Do not do what you want, gentlemen. You are messing up royally. I'm telling you right now. If there's something you want to do and you think she's remotely iffy about it and you hear her say this, she's extremely P.O.'d about the situation. Don't proceed forward. Here's another one, guys. Nothing. Oh, 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 that's another one here. She never means nothing. Ever, 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 guys. It's not happening. Well, you've got to ask her what's wrong, and you better dive in very quick because there is something wrong, and guys, you better figure out what it is quickly because nothing never means nothing, okay? Number six. Go ahead. Do not proceed and go ahead if she says it with attitude and body language and voice inflections. Listen, do not proceed. It means you better rethink, gentlemen, what you're thinking about doing because she does not mean go ahead. Okay. She calls you a gourd head. You, You better not be a gourd head and go ahead. Okay. Number seven, don't worry about it. You had better worry about it, guys. If she says that, that is crazy. It might be the most simplest phrase that could be said. It might seem very, very innocent. And people say it all the time. But when she says this, listen, you have done something wrong. And you better get to apologizing quick. Maybe even good to go buy some roses. Okay, just saying. Um, it's so important. So, you know, worry, don't, you, you've got to worry about that. Believe me. The last one. Wow. This is the mother load, gentlemen. Of all terms, it comes out of a woman's mouth when she says, wow, okay? You say, what do you mean? Basically, gentlemen, when she says it that way, you better be totally cringing with everything in you because you're about to enter into an argument that I promise you guys, you will not win, okay? Now, okay guys I hope that I hope that's for you now let's jump back in together with, with all the ladies and everybody here I just had to help the men out look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 listen to what Paul said don't use foul or abusive language what does that mean there don't use foul or abusive language right it's just clear as it can be let everything you say be good and helpful what does that mean let what's the second word Everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I said a few weeks ago, you know who needs encouragement? If they're breathing, they need encouragement. That's all of us. And that's what he's saying here. You're to speak words that build up, not tear down. See, that's what you do with stones. Stones can build something up or stones can tear something down. And that's what's so crucial to understand. Does your speech currently, from the last seven days, when you think about it, has your speech been building those in your circle of life up? Has it been gracious? Listen, if we would apply what we're talking about here in our homes, not trading insults, not being people that are being deceptive, not being people that are clamming up, not blasting one another another with words and speaking things like this did you know if we practice this, our counselors would not have any business? They'd be out of business. Would need counselors in this particular area. Think about your speech in the last seven days. Has it been building up or has it been tearing down? Look at your own life. How much of your speech was sarcastic? How much of your speech was basically. Telling them something that's less than. How much of your speech in those moments were critical? How much of your speech was angry? How much of your speech was accusatory? Think about your words. They build up like stones or they tear down. How much was aimed at blessing those and building up those, especially in your own household, your family members? Look at verse 10. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. How many of you here, under the sound of my voice, you want to to see in your life many happy days? Raise your hand. Want to see many happy days. Yes, I think that's all of us. We want to have those many happy days. And Peter says literally what he's saying here when he says keep your tongue, he's saying stop. That's what it literally means, your tongue from speaking and telling lies. That is being deceitful. He doesn't, he said, we're not to be deceitful. Godly words are built on a godly walk and we yield through that, through the communication and the relationship by putting in application what he's saying. Peter said, you're to turn from those evil words that tear down and you pursue good words that build up each and every day of your life. So, what is Peter's ultimate point? He's turning from evil, turning from evil words. We don't retaliate and we do not verbally abuse someone else with our words. We keep our tongue, stop our tongue from doing evil. Do you know what particular verse he's citing here, if you didn't not know it he's citing the old testament verse psalm 34 and verse 13 so what he said and get this it supports verse 9 verse 9 ver- su- supports verse 10 i want to read it again don't repay evil for evil don't retaliate with insults when people insult you Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Now, you and I both know that when you read this, this is so countercultural from year 2020. And some of you are thinking, if someone verbally abuses me, I'm going to give them a blessing. I'm going to bless them out. And that's what we end up doing in the flesh. But God says, if someone insults you, bless them. Do something kind in return. Jesus said himself in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, and verse 28. He said, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. I'm not talking about, there's times that you've got to clarify. Misunderstandings. There's times in your life that you've got to offer correction for something you have may have misspoken on. It's about, I'm talking about proper communication there. But understand that there's times that you've got to say your point of view. There's times you've got to speak the truth and you've got to do it in a calm, loving manner. But if a person deliberately uh, says something abusive towards you, you don't try to pick a fight. You don't try to, to, to not answer them. You don't try to attack them with an abuse and be more abusive than they were to you you don't lower yourself to name calling you don't go in a direction of being sarcastic you don't be a person that's going to demean them because they demeaned you look at Proverbs 15:1. a gentle answer deflects anger but harsh words makes what's those last two words yell it out so turning from evil words and the last part of that i want to i want to stop on for a moment it says and your lips from telling lies see anything when you're doing that is to manipulate you're trying to deceive you're trying to mislead or you're trying to distort excuse me the facts And what people do a lot of times, they bend the facts in order to be able to suit your side of the story or your side of the situation. And you often can be guilty if we're not careful when we begin to tell lies. Lies is whenever we leave out certain facts of the situation of what really happened. Paul tells us in the Word, in Ephesians 4 and 15, he tells you and me to speak the truth in love. That's what he says for us to do. Now, there are some times that we don't speak the truth in love. We are insensitive, we are harsh, we are cruel. But you got to have balance about speaking the truth in love. Now, what I mean by that is, say, God forbid, you have a loved one in there. You find out, and you know they've had this issue of health, and, and a doctor tells you that they got a week to live. How do you tell a loved one That you don't want to destroy that hope they have in the lord of healing that the doctor says you have a week to live or on a less serious note guys what if your wife comes to you and you come and she comes in the door and she looked at you and says honey how do you like my new hairdo well in that moment you are faced with a decision that if her hairdresser is not so good, it could have been went really south and maybe the color's just not what it needs to be. You're faced with a decision in that moment. Are you going to tell the truth in love? So I have a line for you. Here it is. We should always tell the truth, but some truth shouldn't be told. Right? You got to be careful. So godly communication in our ways, godly communication. In our words. But the last one is godly communication in our walk. But what it is, we're talking about action here, really what we're putting in action. Verse 11 in 1 Peter 3 says, Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Here's something you may not have noticed, but the word evil has been used in this passage, 8 through 12, five different times. And you're not careful, sins like anger and violence and sexual immorality and greed and drunkenness and drug abuse, all these things that can hinder our godly communication. Those things cannot be in present relationships. It talks about in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. But at the root of evil... As living for self, disregarding God and others. That's living for yourself, thinking about yourself first. See, all selfish behavior, what it ends up doing, it builds barriers to healthy communication. And so, what we have to do, we have to practice every single day as Christians denying ourselves and picking up our cross, as Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 23. Now, once again, look at the last part of verse 11. It says, for peace, search for peace and work to maintain it. This verse here supports verse 8. When he summed it up, when we want to have unity of mind, we want to have a heart of compassion. We want to love as siblings and be kind-hearted. Have that spirit of humility in our lives because it shows the behavior that ultimately supports healthy relationships in a godly way. And then again, we must turn away from evil and do good, search for peace, and work to maintain it. See, godly relationships results through godly communication. And some of you are probably already thinking, and you've, you've, you've had some pushback with me, or you may have tuned me out. Yeah, Pastor, you've been talking about denying myself and... It sounds like I've got to give up my rights or I don't need to retaliate. I've got to be able to give a blessing to those who hurt me or insult me. I've got to be compassionate and kind-hearted. I've got to be a person that's going to be humble. What? You just don't understand, Pastor. If you knew my husband or if you knew my wife or if you knew my boss or you knew my brother, my sister, my roommate, if I did that, I would be nothing more than a doormat. If I was like that, they would be trampling on me. I don't get this. Who's going to look out for me, pastor? Who's going to be the person who's going to protect me if I act in a godly way in my communication? I get that. God will. God will. Look what it says right here. 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14. I mean, it's verse 12, for 1 Peter 3, 12. God will. It says, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. How many of you here want God on your side? Would you raise your hand? I think we all do. Then, we please Him by turning from evil. We do good in our ways, in our words, and in our walk. And even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness in God, Did you know that God's going to gift you? God's going to reward you, even if you suffer. Look what it says in verse 13 and 14 in 1 Peter 3. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. See, godly relationships so important and after all it's about loving one another that's the second commandment And here's what I'll tell you as a pastor I've been in ministry over two decades and I've been deeply privileged to share some of the most defining moments and sometimes profound moments with people in ministry and in church and in lives and but also there's been those moments that I've been included in that were their final moments There's Been times that I've held her hand and they drew their last breath and I saw hope in their eyes and I'm not just talking about old people I'm talking about young people old people people in between but as adults mainly as I'm talking to you in those last conversations They never looked at me and said, Pastor, did I ever tell you about my degree I got? Did I ever tell you that I got my master's degree? I'll tell you I got my doctorate. No, they never said that. They never said anything like that. They never looked at me and said, you know, did you know the position I held in this particular company or or this particular uh, corporation for 30 years? They never said things like that. They never said, did I ever tell you how much wealth that I was able to obtain because I worked so hard And man, I I, I worked the stock market. I got all this money in 401k. None of those things were ever in the conversation, the final conversations of anybody's life that I ever saw them draw their last breath. See, at the end, all that matters is who you loved and who loved you circle of love is everything godly relationships will always be built on godly communication which means that we always turn from evil and we do good in our ways with our words and in our walk no matter how Stand with me as we pray. Father, we love you so much and thank you, God, for this amazing, amazing day. We thank you for the gift of communication. God, there's no doubt that during this time that all of us here have failed in this area, God. So I pray, God, you'll do a work through the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we move forward today communicating your way so we can seek your will in our relationships starting with you and with others I want to ask you a question how many of you here would want to lift your hand and say there's work I need to do in this area of my life would you just lift your hand real real high God bless you I'm raising my hand too. God bless you God bless you I want to ask you to pray for God to help you in that through the strength of his Holy Spirit I pray with you and for you. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for all the hands that were lifted. I pray, God, that we'll commit into action, Heavenly Father. This scripture we've read today and apply it to our lives and give us a strength through your power in our relationships and our homes, and our church will experience your blessings, God. Your eyes will be upon us, and your ears will attend to our prayer. we continue praying right now I want to be able to talk to you those of you that you know that today you've come but yet God has convicted you and you know that in your heart you've never received him as the Lord of your life if that's you today that's why you're here friend even if you come with your a friend and they invited you you're here with your spouse or you're here alone If you feel the conviction in your heart, all that is is the Holy Spirit of God wanting to come in your life and wants to befriend you and love you and help you to become everything you were created to be. That's why he's knocking on your heart's door. So I want to ask you right where you're at to pray right where you're at. I wish I could pray your prayer, but I can't. Only you can. But if you know right now you've never received Jesus as the Lord of your life and you know that you need to receive him in your heart and ask him to forgive you of everything you may have ever done wrong in your life, Would you be bold enough to reach toward heaven right now so I can see your hand, so I can pray for you. Just lift your hand real high, real high. Just lift your hand real high. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Just lift your hand real high toward heaven, toward heaven, real high. Anyone else? Thank you for those hands. God bless you. I want to ask you to pray as I pray with you, but just tell the Lord and just right where you're at, just, he's speaking to your heart. Speak back to him and say, Lord, I invite you into my heart today. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I believe you live for me. You died for me. And you'll rose again for me. Please forgive me of my sins. That is everything I've done wrong. Please forgive me, Lord. I want to live for you from this day forward. Save me, my life. prayed that and you meant that from your soul, you'll experience the peace of God that words cannot express. Thank him for it. He's going to give you the power of his spirit. I want to ask you to come and find me in the Connection Center. Please come and talk to me if that's you today and you've lifted your hand. Now, if you have no, you have to leave, there's no way you can stay. You've got enough, someone to pick up or whatever. Please take the card out of the back of the seat. Fill it out. Mark it on there. Black Satan's eye. He won't like that. That this day, February 16th, year 2020, you gave your life to Jesus. And it is only the beginning. The best is yet to come. All right? So be sure to do that. All right. Let's give God praise for an amazing day. All right? Hello, Pastor Jim here. I just wanted to come on and thank you for listening and help answer the question, what next? If you gave your life to Jesus today, we would love to take that journey with you. Simply text the word SAVED to 615-900-2176. And make sure to follow us through the week on our social media accounts at FreedomChurchTN. We love you. Have a blessed week.